Welcome to the Dream Chasers, Brits in America podcast, supported by Bel Air. I'm your host, Letizia Lee. This podcast is a series of captivating interviews with Brits who have moved to the States to chase their dreams, their inspiring journeys, and the things they've been up to. Today, I'm catching up with TV, theatre, and film actor, Jimmy Akinbola. Starting his career, treading the boards, mastering UK theatre, performing across the country from the Royal National Theatre to the Lyceum and a regular on UK TV screens, Jimmy has not stopped. Smashing it in BAFTA award-winning comedy series Rev, alongside co-stars Olivia Coleman and Tom Hollander, Jimmy is playing absolutely no games. Now as a co-star of ITV's hilarious new comedy series Kate and Koji, and also in the Hollywood web series, The Most Dangerous Game, out now on Quibi. Jimmy, welcome. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> You've done so much stuff. Oh no, thank you, thank you so much. It's it's been a it's been a journey, is there? You know, um, it's still going, and I feel very, you know, blessed to still be in the game, and I'm, I'm working with amazing people and working on amazing content. So tell me about growing up in London and how long you've been living in the US. You grew up in Plasto, that's right? Yep, uh, I grew up in Plasto. I was born in Plasto Hospital. It's not there anymore, but um, I'm a proper East Londoner. Um, I sort of, I went to a school called Ravenscroft, nursery, primary school, junior school. And then I ended up going to a secondary school called Cumberland, which, you know, uh, it was all right. It didn't have a reputation of being the best school, but, um, you know, St. Bonds was one of the, the, the popular ones, or Brampton. Yeah, the, actually, Brampton's getting a lot of uh, uh, press right now because they've got quite a high rate of, you know, young kids and especially young black kids like going from there onto university, okay. uh, like Cambridge and Oxford and stuff like that. So that, that's really great to see that because Newham's been known to be one of the poorest boroughs, you know, in London. And so I was just a normal kid, man, just going to school, having too much fun. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't a bad kid, but I was, I was a bit cheeky. I was treating school like a youth center mm-hmm. and uh, I probably could have done better on my grades. But um, my main thing, you know, this I talk about the journey, but my main thing for me up until the age of about 16, I wanted to be a footballer. So like, the acting thing was never in my mind, although I used to love uh, doing drama. Mm-hmm. And uh, me and my friends, all the boys would get together, we'd wait to go last because we felt like we were the best and we want to make everybody laugh and we just pretend being bank robbers or being women or mimicking our, our aunts, you know, mm-hmm. our parents and just doing stuff, you know, just being, just being free and just being silly and being entertaining. Uh, but the main thing was for me is that I was very competitive. I wanted to be a footballer. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have a career like Ian Wright. Um, um, but within that, my drama teacher, Mr. Tyres, he would always take me out of maths and ask me, Could I, can I help him with his drama classes? And normally they'd be the third years. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Was, he would ask me, yeah. I suppose it would, I would just help. I might, he might need another person to be in one of their plays or, you know, it might need a group that's not that great and that needs a bit of support. Mm. And for some reason, my maths teacher let me go out a lot of the times. But... 
I was just helping. Mm. I, it just it came easy to me. I think I was a people person. You know, in school, you've got all the different sort of camps yeah. in terms of the cool kids, the nerdy kids, the, the sporty kids. The, yeah. the, I was, I've always been a floater. I can go between any group. And I, I think that quality the drama teacher saw, Mr. Ties, and, and, so, and I used to enjoy it. And I hated maths. So I did that mm. on and off. And, um, yeah, and then I remember he got, um, during my six weeks holidays, which is, you know, sacred, right? I remember doing some, like, performing arts course for, like, two or three weeks of my six weeks holidays because my drama teacher said, you know, I should do it. I think he thinks I would like it, you know. Uh, I, I was working with some young kids with disabilities and stuff like that. And, and yet, I still didn't want to be an actor. I was just doing these things that... I knew I was quite good at yeah. and or I just felt like I was okay at and and I sort of enjoyed, you know. Um so yeah, so it wasn't until I left school, uh unfortunately my drama teacher passed mm. when I was probably about 14 and you know I left school with an A in drama. I won't talk about the rest of the uh the rest of the the grades, but I do remember we did a really good play for my GCSE drama. I'd watched an Agatha Christie and I had this idea about actors uh, performing the play Othello, you know, but then the the play reflects real life. And so uh, I uh, end up sort of being consumed uh, by the role and getting jealous of my wife. We happened to be, you know, a white uh, Desdemona in my head, and I, I was jealous that she she was doing another play with someone else and, oh my God. and being with him. And then I, you know, ended up putting a pillow over her head in real life, and uh, and and I've never, I was never one for bringing up the ideas at school. Mm-hmm. A lot of my friends would say, "Jimmy, you would never bring the ideas." And so the one idea I brought was our GCSE play, and it got us an A. And um, and then from then, I still wanted to be a, a footballer. And I just said, let me go to Epping Forest College mm-hmm. to do performing arts just while I, you know, try and get that contract. And I think for me then, TJ, that's when, when it changed. I was in the second week of uh, the course at Epping Forest College and they said, can you, everyone had to perform, uh, do a monologue, either fact or fiction. I wrote this monologue like a stand-up, uh, comedy routine, a bit like uh, Eddie Murphy, Raw, Delirious mm-hmm. Vibes, you know? Uh, and um, and it was a mixture of fact and fiction of when I went to the West End with my brother, Shegan, and we got arrested. And, uh, and, uh, and yeah, and I just performed it like a Richard Pryor-esque, Eddie Murphy-esque. And I remember the the moment I remember writing it and it just flowing. I'd never written anything before, just just flowing. I remember like putting music in it. Like I was like, oh, the cue music. I'm gonna have a uh, original Nutter, the the jungle oh, anthem yeah. going through it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I remember like doing all these things, and um, and then I remember finishing the monologue, and the moment, like the buzz, the buzz was it was electrifying. Mm. It was like a arrow of love from cupid you know theater cupid just going bang this is a moment this is this is a moment yes yes tj i was like i in that moment i was like i want to do this for the rest of my life i'm going to be an actor i'm going to go to drama school you know not university and Mm -hmm. i'm going to do it and it reminded me 
of the Eddie Murphy Raw when he's a kid. You know, we got Samuel Jackson, and he's like, "I right, tell us a joke." He's like, "And I kicked the kicked the monkey or the lion in the doo doo or whatever," and then everyone's shocked. Yeah. And then Samuel Jackson's like clapping, ah, "That boy's got talent." And then it and then it cuts into Eddie, Eddie, and he's in that live. For me, I'm not like that moment <laughs> when I had performed because I was quite. It felt like that for me. It felt like I'd I'd really I'd arrived, and because I was quite shy and introvert, you know, when I was when I was young, I still there's still element of, elements of that. Yeah, I know everyone says that. I it would come out when I performed, yeah. but I was very like until I got to know you, I was very softly spoken, mm. and you know, and then once I relaxed, everyone would be like, oh god, go back to being a shy Jimmy, you know, because yeah. you know I'll, I'll be able to truly embrace who I was, yeah. and so. Um, yeah, that was the beginning for me. And then I went off to drama school. Did your background influence your craft in any way? I'm I'm trying to like understand where it came from. Yeah, I think so. It's I mean natural in you anyway, from when you can just you're naturally enjoying acting, your teacher is seeing the kind of gift in you, which is such a blessing. Um, I'm just wondering where you got influence from, if anywhere. Yeah, it's a good question. I think going back in hindsight now, I look at a few things. When I was at Ravenscroft, uh, I was in the infant, yeah, infant school. I did a lot of poetry. You know, I read a lot of poetry, wow. sort of live. I got certificates. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I was quite good at that. But I didn't think I no. I'm not sure if I was good. I thought everyone just thought, ah, oh, it's cute. This kid's reading, look, way down south where bananas grow. Mm-hmm. A grasshopper stepped on an elephant's toe. The elephant said with tears on his eyes, pick on somebody your own size. Get a certificate. Everyone's like, that's amazing. <laughs> like, I remember that from the age of five. Mm-hmm. I'm not lying, you know? Um, but but when I start looking about, when I start analyzing myself, that's still an element of performance, mm-hmm. isn't it? You know? And I would always be in the school sort of, Christmas play or the the summer play, doing something, not necessarily the lead, but always doing something. And then I remember one time in the juniors, I we they did snow snow, not was it uh, Red Riding Hood, mm-hmm. and and I ended up playing. Uh, I think I think Red Riding Hood for some or something. I can't remember what happened. And then I remember, uh, yeah, I remember sort of again just 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 going out there. And I remember sort of getting this girl to bring into school a mum's uh, underwear. You know what I mean? Okay. And so within within our version, you know, I I pretend to be Red Riding Hood, but I get a gun out of uh, my underwear and I sh- and I end up shooting the wolf. You know, and I'm like, I, I remember that happening. And yeah, I'm just it's just it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. Like the 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 creativity yeah. for me to even be playing this sort of comedy version of Red Riding Hood, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and then and at the same time to ask, yeah, yeah, tell you, yeah, get this underwear yeah. and someone get me a gun and do you know what I mean? That's there's there's something creative that was bubbling, but I still wasn't aware. I was just being a, a kid, and I think growing up with like lots of brothers, they would watch a lot of films and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and I, and I think that probably was influencing me and obviously I was the youngest of I'm the youngest of four brothers and so there was a lot of films I shouldn't have been watching but I think subconsciously a lot of things went in and so whenever I had to be creative I I think instinctively things just came from came to me and I remember my watching my brothers actually 
my brothers would always laugh at a lot of comedy and like they were big, big guys. And I'd be like, how are they laughing? They're, they're cackling like old women. Yeah. And they, and they would, and they would like, they would rewind the, look, you know, I'm showing my age now. They, 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 they skip it back, right? They rewind it back to the same point of the scene. And then they will laugh. And they will laugh again like they'd seen it for the first time. And I would laugh, but more like at, 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 at how they're reacting as well as what I'm watching. You know what I mean? I'd be like, this is, this is magical. This is amazing. And it was, it was, it was so much fun to, to, and and I did find it fun. And I think, again, these things just went in subconsciously. Again, I wasn't wanting to be an actor. I had friends that I would, that was already on, on TV, like Nathan Constance. He was in this sort of, the show called The Biz that was on, on, on the BBC. Or I see some friends, they would pop up in, a little bit part in Only Fools and Horses. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I remember my mum said at one point, she's like, do you want to go to try out these um, stage schools? Mm-hmm. I was like, nah, man, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be an actor. I want to have a normal life. I want to be a normal kid. I want to play football. Yeah. I don't want any of that. And, and so that's where I was. But then I think back to that moment at Epping Forest College, once I'd done that speech that I'd written and, you know, directed myself in, that's, that's when the shift happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's just so dope that you were aware of your gift. It was something that came easy to you and you just had the right guidance. Yeah, I think I think I did. Like mom, my mom would always be like, oh, I'm not just saying it. You're, you were the best or you were great in that. And I'd be like, oh, you're just saying it, mom. Uh, I hear that our grandma uh, uh, in Nigeria was... Um, was a bit of a performer, you know. Um, I've got quite a, a wide range of family as well. I've got like Nigerian family. I've got like white working class family because you know I was fostered a bit. So I've got a lot of worlds that I could. Uh, I've got a lot of worlds that I can draw from, yeah. um, and uh, and I just think once it arrived for me, I never looked back. I I got a job as an usher at Theatre or Stratford East. And so a lot of my education in terms of theatre was watching uh, people like Robbie G on stage, Eddie Nesta, Angela Martin, you know, all the giants. Or, you know, yeah, Joe Martin. Like I was, I got to see a lot of, you know, some of those proper like, like the old guy from from Lotstock Smoking Barrel, uh, you know, some some East Ended East Enders actors and. And you just watch them every day. Some great people doing panto, and I and, and I and I think I realize now you just you can get a lot from just watching people, man. Watching and and you mm-hmm. and you can you can learn a lot from that. And and I think there's a part of me of uh, the East London boy in me. There was a there was a work. I don't know. There's a desire or something. There was a bit of there was a slight knowing of I can. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I can do something. Because even to get into college, yeah. I didn't have the grades, so I had to speech the the uh, <laughs> uh, the performing arts uh, teacher and say, "Look, I don't think I should do the BTEC first. I'm better than that. I mm-hmm. don't want to be doing three years. Wow. You know, I just want I'm I should be on the BTEC national diploma. You know, I was I was that aware of what that meant. Like BTEC first was just for beginners. I was like, wow. I've been doing stuff, even though I didn't know I went to be an actor at that moment when I was saying these things, but I knew my, I knew my worth, you know? Um, and, yeah. and it happened again when I went to Academy of Live Recorded Arts Drama School 
uh, I had auditioned and I met with the principal and she was trying to say I'm too young. I was only like 17. She's like, you're going to be just mm-hmm. 17, maybe 18 by the time you get here. We like to have people that have life experience. And I just, again, speech to her. I was like, look, mm-hmm. look, I'm, would you respect if I don't get in this year, I don't know if I'd be around for next year. You know, I think I was half trying to sell mm-hmm. a story, but I was half like a year waiting for this opportunity. It felt too long. You know, I was like, I was determined. I was ready now. I was so that at that point I knew I wanted to be an actor, you know? And so I just, for me, it, it had to be, you know what I mean? I was, by that time I'd left college. I was like, I have to get this place at drama school. Yeah. And then, so you finish your education, your training, then you hit theatre land. You starred in, you know, such productions as The Island, at The Young Vic, The Cut, um, Othello, the Hammersmith Lyric Theatre, and TV. You were so busy, a regular on Doctors, The Crouches. I mean, what? how long did you spend working in the UK before you, I'm fast forwarding yeah. a little bit, but before you kind of realized there was a point where you wanted to start exploring opportunities in the uh, Good question. I would say uh, I was probably uh, around about year, about nine years, nine, te- nine years. I was a bit like I'd done lots of theater. I was averaging three plays a year you know, um, and fitting in bits of TV and film in between and radio and, and like computer game voiceovers. But I just noticed that America, the, the desire to work in America was, was growing. You know, you, you, I, was aware, I was always aware of the stories of Marianne Jean-Baptiste, you know, Eamon Walker, um, you've got uh, Idris Elba, you know, like there's, there's tons, you know, I was just like, I've got to give it a go. And yet there was a part of me that felt like, I remember speaking to my agent. I think again, this goes back. There's a pattern here. Uh, I've always had the desire and aspiration. There was a part of me after nine years, I sort of wasn't where I needed to be to be start thinking about America, mm-hmm. but I was already thinking about it in terms of like, I hadn't mm-hmm. done my four weddings and a funeral part. Do you know what I mean? That, that, or that bend it like Beckham yeah. part when bang, you know, people knew my work from the theater and bits on TV and whatnot, but I haven't, I hadn't done that thing that had really popped and, uh, and made me cross mm-hmm. over. But I don't know the, I don't know. I think it might be a class thing. This working class mentality, this, 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 this desire to just keep working hard was like, am I going to just sit around and wait for that, you know? And that could be another 25 years till that part comes along and it may never come along. Or do I believe in myself enough to to just, just start, you know, laying the foundations, you know? And so I spoke to my agent. He's like, funny enough, you should bring it up. There's a manager that's been asking about you. Uh, I, was, I was set up. Oh, wow. I know, so, so funny, right? Timing. So when I had a lunch with this manager... And he said, okay, he's got people like Razak or Doty on his books. I was like, oh, I know Razak from, from such a day. He's from East as well. He's like, when I was growing up, people talk about Idris and Razak or Doty. Razak was in um, uh, Black Hawk Down and stuff like that. And Trevor Etienne as well. All these names, like, my, my, like, I call like 
those before me, the kings, the uncles, you know. Anyway, I I said, yeah, mm-hmm. let's sign up. Let's let's do let's do it. I, and he agreed to take me on. You know, it was sort of like a trial period, uh, but we just said we will give it a go. And then I just focused on saving money so I could go and uh, do pilot season in in LA. And um, I went out to LA, and it was amazing. I, you've been there yourself. As soon as I landed, I felt like I was where I needed to be. It was like it was like wow. the, the, the the spirit of the place. You know, obviously, I'm a I'm, I'm a yeah. sun man, so I'm a sun chaser. So the sun, yeah. I loved that. I felt like I arrived on a skateboard. You know, like I surfed into LA. Honestly, that's my best analogy. There's some people that they arrive sort of a bit timidly, sort of clutching their clutching their sort of their bags and a bit. Oh, what is this place? I arrived like on a skateboard, skate surfboard into LA. Like, yes, this is me. Um, cut to those three months of pilot season. I got one audition. It was a terrible, that's a terrible <laughs> a sort of a number in terms of being in LA for three months. You know, me and the manager, you know, it didn't completely work out. I ended up just having three months of hanging out, bumping into seeing friends, you know, being a tourist, yeah. but also having a lot of conversations about how to live in LA what it takes to be a success in LA, seeing people, some people that probably hadn't done as much as me in the UK, but they'd set themselves up in LA. And again, this thing, the sponge in me, I think there's again, the, the pattern here, the, the sponge in me that I must have had even from a kid, I was just soaking it all up, listening, listening, watching, listening, yeah. you know, uh, just just taking it all in. And then um, I got back to London and then I sort of just had a big mental shift TJ, I just said to myself, I don't need to tell anybody this, but my inner spirit is like, it's got LA in it now, you know? <laughs> I don't need to get a tattoo. I don't need to shout from the houses and tell people. I'm just holding this in my own heart. Like, I'm, that's what I'm going to do, you know? And I'd made a decision that I'm going to yeah. stop doing theater because it, it means that I... Um, and you'd done so much theater. Yeah, I just, I, I'd read an article, uh, Tom Wilkinson, uh, he said that he when he stopped doing theatre, it was a hard thing to do, but that's when his film career kicked off. So all these things that go through my mind is like, actually, when I do theatre, I love theatre, and it makes you, it improves you yeah. as an actor. It's, it's my first love. But I was just looking, going, I don't want to be stuck just doing theatre. And I looked at, rehearsing for four weeks is a long time, or six weeks. And I looked at how many more auditions I I how many auditions I could get in four or six weeks and like, and how many jobs I can book in four or six weeks compared to just doing one play. And so I just said to myself, I knew it was a risk, but I'm going to do it. And then from, and also I needed to build money, you know, from my, my talks with lawyers in America, they were like, you've done, you've done, you've got a nice career, but you haven't got enough yet to even get an O one or a green card. You need to do more. Your IMDB needs to be more busy. You need to earn more money. You know, you need to have more red carpet pictures, all these things. Mm. You need to, you know, then other managers, like, you need to think about your brand. So I had all these sort of certain things like that I was mulling over in my head, but, and I was just slowly chipping away at it going, all right, LA is my, is my dream. So what do I need to do to get there? And so I just mm-hmm. stopped doing theater. I did much more TV. I did, you know, I did some voiceover stuff. And it's so funny. After I did that shift, I probably had the most busiest year i've had in terms of tv and film 
And then by the ninth month after making that decision, uh, I had got Holby City, you know? And, uh, and then I was on yeah. that for three years, uh, which, mean, which meant I put my LA dream in the drawer because I had got this other amazing opportunity in the UK. But as soon as I finished that after three years, yeah. I was ready to get the dream back out the drawer and I got myself a green card and I moved to LA. Uh, you know, what I love about that, you said, I have this goal, this interest, this curiosity. I'm going to explore that. Go, you go. It's not immediately the kind of, it doesn't kind of immediately live up to what you thought it would be with the one audition when you, people expect you to have many more during pilot season, but you didn't let that deter you. You kind of was like, okay, I'm going to use this time productively. It's three months in LA, come back, make a plan, make some big changes and then just use the yeah, advice that you've thank given you. and then go again. Because I suppose I the trip was, I probably wouldn't be where I am today without that trip, you know? You know, you know and each, yeah. each experience improves you and makes you stronger, be it negative or positive, you know? And I'd learned a lot. As if I, mm-hmm. the fact that I was still excited about LA after that three months, that said, that, that confirmed it to me that I need to go out there, you know? It's just like when people say about acting, I'm like, look, I love it. I feel blessed to be doing what I love and to have known that I wanted to do this once it hit me when I was, you know, 17. But if you're a person that um, when it gets tough with acting, you're thinking about, oh, I could, I could run a pub. I could, I could, you know, like I said, I could be a lawyer. I'm qualified. I could do all these other things. There's a bit of me that goes, you might need to do that. You know what I mean? And for me, the fact is even as times and I've not worked with acting the buzz it gives me the the joy the love I have for this you know it's never it's it's never left me you know it's never left me and the fact that during those three months I had an amazing time in those three months but actually that could have actually killed my dream of LA and said nah I went to LA, they didn't respond to me, I didn't get anything, I had a great manager, but he didn't get me enough. I could have been really negative, but I just realized, I was like, no, actually, I did everything else. I had a life out there, I was doing other things, and actually, I, I was just a bit early, you know? And then it's crazy how, you know, you 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 roll the dice, you, you, you make a commitment in life, and sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't, but I'm a big believer in, you know, I decided to work a, walk a certain path, and then, and then I got Holby City, which yeah. gave me a job for three years. You know, probably it was my biggest job. It was bigger than Holby Blue and it was bigger than Rev in some ways in terms of exposure, you know. And, and I got money, so I was able to pay for my green card. And my IMDb had hundreds of episodes. So all those things I was missing when I went to LA, suddenly, you know, <laughs> I had them all. And I was ready to make that next step. I love that. And just to jump back a little bit um, to like the three months, you said like, you know, you had some auditions, but it didn't go too well. What happened? Because you hear so much about just LA being this brutal place and like shattering people's dreams. And when, you know, you go for auditions and they can be really harsh. Yeah. Well, you know what? Like, I, I didn't have a few auditions. I had one audition. <laughs> I had one audition. Um, when I went back out there, three, four years later, I had like 30-odd auditions. Actually, probably 40 within oh, the wow. three months, you know? Okay. Yeah. You, yeah. There's some days you can do okay. three a day. I, you know, during pilot season, this is, all right? When it's like, 
it's the cattle market season. So the fact that I only got one was terrible. Mm. Um, yeah, but no, but, but that audition was fine. I was a bit nervous cause it was my first one and I did my thing. Didn't think I was terrible, but I didn't think I was great. You know what I mean? I, I didn't think I was memorable. Uh, but I just thought like, Oh, I've got one under my belt. I just need to, you know, a few more now, you know, just to, to warm up and I never got any more. Um, so, but in terms of how LA can be, once I did sort of do those 40 in my first ever year in LA, um, yeah, it's very fast. You don't get no chit chat. How was your day? You know, it's just like stand on your mark, go, you know, you might be testing or in front of the producers and they're on their phones. Do you know what I mean? They're not even looking at you. I had one audition with one guy and he was, he was on the computer looking at, looking at my MDB while I was doing the scene. I was just like, what? You know? And so nothing, nothing Mm -hmm. It is tough, but I feel like if you can do that, (laughs) you can do anything, you know? Yeah. So, so you said you spent your first year in LA. What was that like? Uh, You know what? It was, it was surreal really because the dream was happening. Um, I ended up getting a place in West Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, WeHo, just off of Sunset WeHo. Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a manager, had an agent. And in my first few weeks, I'm going up for like oh, Hollywood movies. Like, I don't know, like Steve Jobs to films mm-hmm. with Matthew McConaughey to, oh gosh, to Walking Dead. Um, after two weeks, I had a producer session for Jennifer Lopez's uh, show. And then the week after that, I tested uh, for a CBS comedy. You know, so things, I'd only been there a couple of weeks and I was already close to nailing that big job that a lot of people seem to get, you know, from the UK in the US. You know, it's like, oh, great. Where's where's Sanso been? Where's Lashana? Oh, Lashana Lynch, she's the new Bond girl. She's in, you know what I mean? She's in, she's in the, the Avengers movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, um, and again, though, so I came out the blocks fast and I was very busy, but if I'm honest, it took me a year to process that I'd actually moved to another country, you know? Uh, and I think, because I was so busy, I didn't yeah. have that moment to just, that moment like we have now with this quarantine period, I didn't have the moment to just stop and reflect. I'd, I'd had a busy year before. I was out of the UK filming in like Eastern Europe on a, on a couple of films. And, um, and yet it was a magical first year. I, I tested for Arrow. So I tested twice, you know, in the space of three, three months, which is, which is amazing for someone just fresh new in town. Uh, I was up for a lead for Arrow. I didn't, okay. they, they pinned me, which means you're the guy. And I was like, I'm about to be like this lead yeah. villain on this show. That's very big at the time. And then the last minute they switched okay. it and they gave it to this, you know, other guy that was a big name in America. So I went three months of like getting really close to some big, big jobs and I didn't get anything. But then I booked two jobs in a, in the UK <laughs> for Sky TV. And so... And I couldn't say no to him because there was good jobs. So for me, that's when the rhythm of me being back and forth between LA and London uh, started. It's just like the the universe just, yeah. whenever I, I always do a couple of jobs in UK, a couple of jobs in America now for the last, you know, 
three or four years. That's 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 how it's been. Um, but it was it took me a while to just get my rhythm of like how do I live in LA when I'm not working? You know, um, you know how do I stay in contact with my family yeah. and friends? That's the side that was tricky. Like you know, different time differences. Um, how do I, you know, sort of stay on top of stuff that was happening with my company, Trifles Creative Network, and you know, how do I sort of maintain communication mm. and uh, with with people that you know are in London? That was mm. tricky, and then and and just that thing of the simple thing: mm. how do you live when you're not auditioning, you're not at the gym, you're not hiking? What is your life like in LA? And it took me a while to sort of figure that out but I had a lot of friends around me that were helping me and you know eventually I got there and so what was it like getting your first gig in the state oh it was amazing uh I literally flew straight back after doing the two jobs in London um and then you know social media is a big thing right you know I'm on it I don't take it too seriously but you know, everyone's like, Jimmy, you should have more followers. I'm like, it's not that deep. You know what I mean? I, I prefer to have real life connections with people, but I get it is part of the business and part of, you know, part of life in some ways. But anyway, I posted on, on my social media, flying back into LA, getting back on it. You know, I can't wait to see what comes my way. And literally two days later, the people that auditioned me for the lead role in Arrow called my agent mm-hmm. again and said, we just seen that Jimmy's back in town. Uh, we want him. We want to see him tomorrow for this other role in Arrow, and and wow. she's like, apparently they know that you're here. I was like, yeah, they must have just seen on my social media. Anyway, I go in there. I feel like I don't do a good job as a you know. I felt yeah. I feel like I fluffed it a bit, but I got mm-hmm. for this other character called Baron Writer, and he's like the main villain in the Arrow. You have two storylines. You have it in real time, and you have it flashback. So I was this villain up for this villain in the flashbacks and um i auditioned in american then in the british uh and then they gave it to me you know they gave me the part and i remember the casting director saying to me we always wanted you from when we auditioned you before but it was just about timing finding the right thing you know mm-hmm. and uh, and that they were very excited to have me on board and then suddenly i was part of the dc universe I'm playing this villain called Baron Writer, and uh, I'm on Arrow. And that all happened within five months of moving to the US, you know? So, yeah, it, it's uh, sometimes, it, you know, people, it takes people two, three years. And so for me to, to hit the ground running like that, I was, I, was very, I was very proud and very excited. And I was on that show for like eight, nine months and uh and yeah that was my introduction to the u.s market playing an american villain called baron writer um you know i always i always ask people was it a point where you thought i can't do this after you've moved and how you overcame it but it feels like i get the sense that you just you did not quit yeah you just have positive energy this determination it's like i'm just gonna keep going i'm just gonna keep trying yeah yeah i i did i i again i think it goes back to this the work ethic of me you know this thing of like my journey you know i'm a big believer you shouldn't watch other people's journey in terms of being jealous you can get inspiration from other people Mm -hmm. doing but i just said to myself i've you know life's too short i don't want to my mom used to used to always say to me don't live life with what ifs and and 
I just said to myself, what's the worst thing that could happen? I moved to LA, yeah. I run out of money, and I have to move back to, to London. That's 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 no problem. You know, I can, you know, I'll just audition from London. Um, and I realized I had enough to keep me there for a year. Um, and after that, maybe I could get a job. I just thought there's always going to be another way. Um, and I just tried not to sit with the fear. I just wanted to sit with yeah. the possibility. And especially America, the energy, you know this. There is an energy about America, yeah. you know. You know, there, there's certain things that <laughs> I don't like and you know about America, but there is that that can do that anything is possible, you know, yeah. and especially in LA, it's it's in the air, man. You really feel it. Yeah. And uh I'm dreaming. It is, it is. And it gets a bad rep. Everyone's a dreamer, but I'm like, I hear so many stories of people going from you know, with all due respect, no matter coming from the other countries, going from naught to 100, you know? Uh, yeah. Because what I love about America, they, they really celebrate and embrace talent, you know? And, uh, and, you know, I'm a big advocate for, like, inclusivity and diversity. And mm-hmm. I can... I will, like, a lot of my friends, Alexis Rodney, Galaxy, Galaxy of the Guardians, you know... Shana uh, Lynch, you know, she's doing a thing in, in Bond. She's done Marvel. You got John Boyega. You got Dansom Idris. You know, you got Nicholas yeah. Pinnock. You got Jovan Wade. You know, you got myself. Yeah. You know, you got Wumi Masaku. You know, like, <laughs> and then you've got the older generations Lenny James, Idris, Marion Jean Baptiste, Eamon Walker, OT Fagbinelli. Like, all these people, David Jesse, like, it's so many of these people that are British, you know, and British, black, BAME, whatever you want to say, there's no coincidence that a lot of their stuff, not all of it, but a majority of their their biggest jobs and biggest roles and, you know, that had impact and maybe changed their careers, they've all had, they've all become, like, had been American productions, you know? You know? Yeah. yeah. Even like, even like Riz Ahmed as well, like, there's tons, you know? It's just, yeah. it just goes on and on. And so, it's, that's the thing. America, it has that it has that side to it that if you do the work, you have got the ability and you, you know, preparation meets timing, you know, whatever you get that bit of luck, you can. Look at Miss London at the moment. She's she's writing her own show for I think NBC or something like that. That they had seen, they went to Edinburgh Festival, they saw her, she had a meeting with them, and now she's writing her own show. Like I Gina Yashere, she's writing her own show, she's in her own show, she's a writer, actor, producer. Like she should have had a show from a time in the UK, you know? And so, yeah. so it, I, I, again, I'm always looking at the positives, you know? It's like, it's great that this is happening for everybody. And yet also, I am about, I'm not about just dissing the UK, and da, 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 da. you know, for me, I'm very happy to uh, float between both countries. And I'm very much of the, of the camp of come back to the UK to, to do work, to, to bring opportunities, to, to also to try and, you know, keep changing the dial, you know. I think more visibility, you know, helps uh, things change. And, uh, and if, if we don't come back and do great projects or create things, then, then that, that, that change is not going to happen. But it is happening. You've got OT with his show. You've got Aegis we do in the long run, you know. You've got Michaela's, mm. you, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of stuff happening you know Javon Prince has been doing his stuff is so I do think it's an exciting time and yet I do feel you know 
there's so much more work to be done. You know, we're not at the place yet where it's like, oh yeah, we're there. We've got so much more work to do. Yeah, and totally. And I think like what you've got out right now is is testament to the fact that you know you can successfully have great projects going on on both sides of the pond. I mean, you're currently, um, you've currently got out The Most Dangerous Game, um, the web series, Hollywood web series that's available on Quibi and smashing it with Kate and Koji, which I understand peaked at around four and a half million views on ITV, making it the third highest watch show that night. I mean, two incredible projects. Tell us a little bit about how shooting The Most Dangerous Game was different to other projects that you've been involved in yeah i mean the most dangerous game uh it was probably one of the most uh physical uh jobs i've done in a long while you know there was lots of lots of fights uh with me and liam hensworth um the show is about uh a man that's you know his financial life is a train wreck his wife's pregnant yeah, he, he, he's been told he has a brain tumor, t- a tumor, and then and then this this guy approaches him saying, "Look, play this game of of hunt, and if you survive, you get you know a lot of money in your account, over a million or something in your accounts, you know, after twenty four hours." And and so it's a bit like a uh, John Wick meets uh, Running Man, uh, and mm. um, and so it's just like. Uh, you know, cat and mouse chase basically. And, uh, but for me, you know, I had to do a lot of fight scenes straight away with, uh, Liam Hensworth. You know, um, I was playing this African-American priest then turns to, he's been pretending that he's African-American priest. He ends up being a Nigerian, uh, <laughs> assassin. Um, and, and, and so it wasn't that much different in terms of the filming. It, it, it felt like it felt pacey. It felt like there was mm-hmm. excitement. There was an expectation. There's a lot of money being put into Quibi. They've got A-listers like Christoph Waltz, Liam Hensworth, you know, leading their projects, as well as they've got stuff with Lawrence Fishburne in it, Idris Elba, mm-hmm. and Don Cheadle. Um, so there was an excitement. Uh, and and I just remember my first day on set where I, I remember just being like, wow, we have been going since the morning. But I just remember feeling so excited and at the same time you know by the end of the day I was knackered because I was just fighting yeah. Liam all day you know and and minimal like we, we've got uh, stunt doubles but majority of the fight was just me and Liam you know which I prefer to do you know um, um, but it was just exciting to know that uh, I was working on a project for Quibi and on the set we all wanted to create an exciting show you know, and make everybody rush to watch Most Dangerous Game. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's performed so well. It's like had 1.7 million downloads in the first week. Yeah. And I didn't realise that it was exec produced by Nick Centura, who also created The Sopranos and Prison Break. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and the director uh, was the director of Daredevil. So, yeah, it's been great. And it's weird. We're in a funny time, but it's so funny. A lot of my content has been coming out during lockdown and you know i think it was actually the first kate and code yet was six million you know and then it averaged through the by the fourth episode to being like four and a half i think it was one of the most it's one of the most successful comedies on itv now for the last sort of 
seven, eight years. Wow. Uh, when I watched it, I was like, I just want to keep watching the next episode. Oh, uh, no, thank you. Thank you. And for me, again, like you said, it's so nice to be playing someone like Koji on ITV. And at the same time, you know, in America, uh, I'm on I'm on the screens playing Carter, you know, in, in Most Dangerous Games. And, uh, and then later on in the year, you know, we're going to have a season three of In the Long Run. So you can be seeing me playing Valentine. And then I've got a, got a role in this Apple series called Ted Lasso as well. And so for me, TJ, I'm just, my career, I just want to continually do great work in different characters, you know, and, uh, and not, you know, I feel like there's a lot of comedy in my life and I'm embracing that. But also, you know, I don't want to just get stuck to doing the comedy. I'd like Most Dangerous Games is a action thriller drama and I want to do more stuff like that. And I just want to sort of keep, keep, Making second, making people not know where they can put me, and just show that I have, you know, range and versatility. You do, and but on top of that, you also do a lot of giving back. I mean, you set up the Triforce Creative Network. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, Triforce Creative Network is we're an organisation that's been going over, going on for fifteen years that had always been flying the flag of diversity and inclusion before they became buzzwords. Uh, we we have a number of initiatives. Uh, we have an actors initiative called Monologue Slam, which is a free actors showcase, providing opportunities for actors to be seen by agents, casting directors, producers, and writers. You know, so they they can get representation, they get opportunities to get jobs. It's about putting them in front of people that can change their career. Uh, and then we uh, decided to do another format similar to that, another initiative called Writer Slam. And Writer Slam is basically similar to Monologue Slam, but it's about writers pitching maybe like a 15-page script with only five characters. And we will work with a, uh, a certain network or a certain production company might be looking for dramatic scripts or comedies. And then the winners of this Writer's uh, Slam, they get commissions, some of them get representation, and, and they get money as well. And again, it's a bit like myself and my business partners, Fraser Ayers and Mini Ayers, we've come from a place where we've seen that if you're successful in this business, then you have a lot of a- access. But if, you, if you're if you not, or if you don't look the type, then access is minimal. Mm-hmm. And so we were very fortunate in our early careers that we'd done quite a bit early on and certain doors were open to us. And so rather than not doing that, you know, rather than closing the door and doing that one in, one out mentality, we were like, we yeah. want to wedge this door open and, and bring people mm. through. But rather than bring people through, we were like, actually, let's bring all our contacts to us, to our events, and let's create this platform for all these amazing writers, actors, producers, filmmakers uh, to be seen. And uh, and then over the years, there's people that have got representation. They've got people like Chizzy Akadulu. She's in. She used to be in Holby City, but she was seen doing Monologue Slam. You know, we've got we've got mm-hmm. someone called Sophie Petzl, and she was a writer on one of our writers' lab, and now she's writing for like big shows for Sky and f- for America. You know, we've got we've had filmmakers on our short film festival, which is called the Trifle Short Film Festival that we would do at BFI and at BAFTA, and we've had people okay. that have entered their films and gone off, gone on to you know win American film festivals, and some have even been close to you know nearly getting on on the oscars uh and so we're just trying to do what we can we're not doing everything but we are doing a lot and it's just that thing of like not charging the talent there's a lot of organizations that are charging 
talent for opportunity. And we never believed in that. Our membership is free, you know, and when we've tried to get funding from certain people, they're like, why don't you just, you know, monetize your your membership? We're like, no, we don't want to charge the talent. You guys, you, the industry, the networks, the production companies, you you know, you guys are the ones that are benefiting from this. So we feel like we should mm-hmm. get support from you. And then over the years, that has got better and better and better. And we have got some support. We still would love more. So if anybody's listening, please do message, you know, com- contact us. We, you know, at the end of the day, all the work we do, it, it takes time and it takes money. And uh, and we need support with, with people that can really help us do that. Um, and it's that thing, for me, the balance, TJ, was that, I'm always, I'm an actor first and foremost, uh, but it really helped early on in my career to have something that wasn't about me and it wasn't about the acting. It was about providing yeah. for other people. And and so if you look at it, we've got Monologue Slam for actors, Writer Slam for writers, the short film film festival for filmmakers and, you know, and, and that film festival we like to focus on you know, below the line behind the camera as well. So we have high percentage of of women producers and directors, of of people of color, you know what I mean? Diverse and inclusive crews. And like, we really, that's what we feel, that's what makes us feel like our film festival is different, you know? And we do try and connect them with potential funders and, and production companies and people seeking like that new hot fresh talent. That's another part of our film festival. It isn't just like, oh, you've won an award, bye. It's like, no, who can we connect you with? Our judges are always people that are doing stuff, you know? No, you guys are doing a lot of giving back and it sounds like you're helping a lot of people, which is just so important. I love the idea of wedging the door open. I remember when it was one in, one out. Oh, you have to wait your turn. So and so shining right now. So I love this, these initiatives and they've been going for a long time and, and you guys, you know, you're committed to, to the Thank growing. you, thank you. If anybody wants to check it out, you know, uh, thetcn.com. And if you're into working, like if, you, if you're into crew work and producing and directing and stuff, check out dandy.org.uk. You know, little plug. <laughs> so, Jimmy, you're spending pretty much all of your time in the US mm-hmm. now. Uh, I'm in the UK, but let's, test you on how much of a Brit you are. So it's time for our 60 seconds. How much do you know about London quiz? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. There won't be any troubles. I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> okay, let's go. So, let's start the clock now. So name the city where Harry and Meghan got married. Uh, the city yeah. where they got married? Uh... London. Okay. Name three members of South London So Solid Crew. Mega Man, Asher D, and Romeo. What days of the week can you get the 24 hour tube? Uh, Friday and Saturday. What's the last stop on the 473 bus? The last stop of the 473 bus. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Stratford and Beckton. On Monday, what time is EastEnders normally on? 8 p.m. No, wait, no, no, no. Yeah, 8 p.m. What's the minimum black cab fare? (laughs) 
as Koji's uh, Kojo says, five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're out of time. So, what's the city where Harry and Meghan got married? The answer I was looking for was Windsor. Oh, okay. But now is Windsor in London? I'm so <laughs> I could see the wedding. I could see the wedding, but I was like, I remember City just walking down. But I couldn't. I couldn't think. Go on. Okay. Three members of South London So Solid crew, Mega, Ash and Romeo. That's correct. I did appreciate that they were up to 30 members of So Solid crew <laughs> at, any, like, at its maximum. Wow. That's um, days of the week that you can get the 24-hour tube, Friday and Saturday. That's correct. What's the last stop on the 473 bus? You said Stratford, which is correct. The other end is North Woolwich Ferry. Ah, okay. I put that in. So you got that right. I put that in because you're from Plaster. Yeah. Uh, EastEnders is on at 8pm on a Monday night and the minimum black cab fare £5 does sound realistic but it's actually £3.20 to be fair I did think it was around £5 yeah it's £5 man I, I'm going to contest that that's £5 so <laughs> <laughs> uh, much I think the last thing I wanted to ask you is you know what's next for you and do you have any advice for listeners wanting to chase their dreams um what's next for me uh season three and you didn't, we didn't really actually talk about this much but this is probably one of my favorite jobs on tv really uh in the long run uh i don't know if you've seen it it's on sky one and now tv i play Idris elba's brother uh valentine uh and it's based off of his uh his real life about his parents coming to East London in the eighties. And so that's coming out, I think in maybe June or July this year. Uh, yeah. and this season three as well. And, and it, the scripts are amazing. Uh, my business partner, Fraser Ayers wrote quite a few scripts. There's a great writer called Grace Afori. Look out for her. She's, she's written some great scripts and it, it's got a great look about it. It's that thing of like, do you know when a new show comes on, it's good the first season, it's good the second season, but the third, it really knows itself. So I'm really, yeah. really excited about that, you know? And, and it's, look, it's a, I feel very lucky to have worked in the last couple of years with, Idris Elba, Brenda Blethyn, Liam Hensworth, and Dustin Hoffman. Do you know what I mean? And Olivia Coleman. Like uh, that, that's just—it's just crazy. But I—I I have so much fun working with Idris and Bill Bailey and and and, and Maddie and Kelly as well. Uh, um, and so that's what's next for me. I really hope people tune into it. I feel like uh, you know it's a great show. It's authentic and it's inclusive and diverse. Uh, I feel like it would. You know, it's doing great on Sky, but I think if this was on sort of BBC or ITV, it'd be one of the, uh, you know, one of those iconic shows, British shows, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's next for me. Uh, and I'm trying to keep fingers crossed for a second season of Kate and Koji. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we don't know, but, you know, those figures, it'd be great to do that again. Um, and then, so advice for people, I would say follow your heart. Do you know what I mean? If you've been thinking about it, dreaming about it, go for it. Don't let anybody kill your dreams, you know? Um, just because they say it's not possible doesn't mean it's not possible. Uh, but work ethic is key. Don't be afraid to ask questions, to reach out to people. Um, but work ethic, you know, there's there's always 
something you can do you can be working on on or learning uh if you're thinking about it go and do some actors course for beginners or something you know if you do like a four to six weeks course on acting you will know by the end of that course if it's for you or not um and and also don't forget that it's fun you know if you stop uh enjoying it or you focus too much on the result and trying to be famous and all that stuff. Just enjoy the work, enjoy the process, enjoy learning about rehearsals, learning about yourself and, and just working with other creative, beautiful human beings. Awesome. Jimmy, thank you so much for catching up with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So my takeaways from today are take good advice And just because they say it's not possible doesn't mean it's not possible. What did you think of today's episode? I want to hear your feedback. So if you have a favorite quote or line from today's episode, share this in a post on your socials and tag us. On Instagram, our page is dreamchaserspodcast underscore. And on Facebook, our page is dreamchaserspodcast. Is there anyone you think would be interested and inspired to chase their dreams by this episode? Then share the love. You can subscribe to this podcast on Acast. We're also on Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio Podcasts and all other great platforms. I'd love for you to write a review on Apple Podcasts. What's your dream? I'd love to hear them. Let me know. This has been the Dream Chasers Podcast supported by Bel Air. Tune in for the next exciting episode where we'll be catching up with another inspiring dream chaser.